You are listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I'm so glad that you are here, and I am glad that I am here, too. We are back home after a five-day trip to a Christian ranch in southern Idaho, right outside of Yellowstone National Park. We did a a family camp for Paul Church in Paul, Idaho. They came down about three hours to this family camp, the Christian ranch there, and we had a wonderful time for five days. I had six workshops that I did, which was about 12 hours, a little bit more than 12 hours of talking. Also, we had a bukoodle of counseling sessions. Bukoodle is a lot, by the way. A lot of counseling sessions in between the speaking time, and so I think that I spoke somewhere between 25 and 30 hours in the four days that we were there from Thursday night until Sunday morning, and it was a fantastic time. And the rumor has it is that we will be back maybe next year. And so if that is true for all of you in the Idaho area, Bozeman, Montana area, maybe you want to make plans to have us to come speak to your organization too, and we can just make it a big blowout if you're interested in that. Please let us know. And I do want to say to the kind folks at Paul Church, you won. Uh, What I tell people at our conferences is, if you don't wear me out, if I don't crawl out of town exhausted, it's on you. It's your fault. That's one of the reasons that we have counseling sessions in between the speaking events, because we want to serve the people as well as we possibly can. And so I just don't want to go into a town or into a church or organizational context and just do speaking and then take vacation the rest of the time. No, we are there for a singular purpose, which is to serve the people. And one of the ways that we can serve people while we are on on site is not just to do some monologue teaching, which I do enjoy quite a bit, but also to have a little bit of dialogue so that we can meet privately with people. And I met privately with a lot of people at this church, and it was so fantastic. And again, as I told them, if you do not wear me out, it's your fault. So here it is, Paul Church. You won. You wore me out. I was absolutely exhausted after we left. And I'm not going to be ashamed to say that I slept till 11 o'clock this morning, catching up on on the wonderful time we had at the Christian Ranch. So thank you all. If you happen to be listening to this podcast, well, thank you so much. Uh, You exhausted the old man, and we made some wonderful memories that are absolutely special that I will remember all the days of my life. And so thank you for also serving us so well. Uh, You are a kind group, attentive. You are engaged, and I appreciate your vulnerability, your transparency, your honesty. Thank you for so many fruitful conversations. And so I have paid my debt, my sleep debt. I'm ready to roll. And so let me jump into this podcast. The title of the podcast is Learning How to Encourage Disappointing People to Change. And so we will pretend that you have a disappointing person in your life. And how would you encourage, how would you motivate that person to change? Let me set it up this way. 
If a family member or friend does not meet your expectations, what is your primary way of motivating them to change? Do you encourage them toward a better way of living? Or do you use other methods like criticism, nagging, and condemnation that tempts that person to fear? I'm going to address this problem in the ongoing life and times of Biff and Mabel. Biff and Mabel are my friends, and I love them so much, and they are such a part of this ministry. In fact, I was talking uh, to someone, Larry, I believe, at the family camp, and he was telling me about Biff and Mabel, and so he has learned to love them as well. And as my other friend uh, from another place, Claire, told me she 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 thinks that she might be Mabel. And so Biff and Mabel, they come in and out of our lives so often, and here they are again. And so I want to address this idea about encouraging the disappointing people in your life to change. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you on the front end, the answer to doing this is more complex than you might think. In fact, I want you to listen as I move through this podcast, because at some point I'm going to take a turn that you did not expect. But I do want you to listen carefully and attentively, and I'll draw attention to it when I make that turn. I want to start out this way by talking about how we view and experience things in the corporate world, because the corporate world is different from how we should live our lives within our family and and friend constructs, but sometimes we can bring uh, our experience from other places, like secular places, we can bring them into our Christian experience, and that can be problematic. For example, in the corporate world, encouragement and gratitude for a job well done happens because of an employee's excellent performance. We call it a performance review. When you meet a certain standard on your performance review, you get a a job well done, which can be anything from a, a, a monetary bump or just congratulations. This strategy has proven to be an effective method for motivating subordinates to work harder and perform better. It could sound something like this. If you meet my expectations, I will reward you monetarily for a job well done. Now, suppose you bring that methodology home to implement within your family and marriage structures. If you do, guess what? you are going to habituate the family into a practice that is not just anti-gospel, but it will have an immediate, a long-term, and generational adverse impact on your loved ones. One of the many aspects of the gospel is giving someone something they do not deserve. You love that language, don't you? Of course you do. It's this aspect of God's gospel that we do love the most. Everyone is now thinking of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. It is because of the Lord's grace that we become part of, 
of his family. He does not reward us with the prize of adoption after we rise to the level of perfection, which is the price of admittance. Uh, by the way, the level of perfection is the price to admittance, but we are not the ones who are required to rise to that level. And so we anticipate and we welcome the sacrificial work of another on our behalf. It's because of his Christ, perfect sacrifice, that we receive access to the kingdom of God. Imagine in the corporate world if you received an award for another person's work. Though it's not a wise practice in that environment, it's exactly what we need to become a Christian. You sense this perspective in Romans 2, 4, where Paul said it was the kindness of God that led to our repentance. Because of the generous and merciful work of God, while we were undeserving sinners, we changed. And everybody rejoices Because the Lord is not our CEO, but he is a grace-giving Father. He recognized our inability to merit the reward we needed, so he made another way through his Son. And though the Father was not pleased with our performance review, he fully approved of his son. You can hear him declaring in Mark 1:11, and a voice came from heaven, "You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased." Every Christian from every generation gladly rejoices that there was a workaround that secured our seat in heaven. And so as you reflect upon Paul's language in Romans 2, 4, it's wise to ponder how you could practically implement the concept of kindness that leads to repentance into your daily interpersonal relationships. Think about it again. The kindness of God that led to our repentance. The kindness of God is exhibited on the cross, on Adam's tree. And as we look at God's kindness to us, it motivates us to change. What if you required others to meet a specified performance review? before you rewarded them, that is the corporate model. Perhaps it would sound like this, I will encourage you after you meet my expectations. God encouraged us while we were sinners. We could not meet his expectations. Those are two antithetical constructs there. The person who only rewards after an acceptable performance. You know, what you're going to build into your people is a people-pleasing, works-based attitude. Your family and friends will learn quickly 
that I need to perform. I need to hit all the marks because that is the only way that you are going to receive any kind of a reward. That kind of exclusive worldview or method of operating, it fosters a fear-centered awkward way of relating to the authoritarian who withholds or dispenses praise which is dependent on the performance. Treating treating a family member like an employee tempts the family member to figure out how to please so they don't end up on the short end of the performance review. Now, of course, there will be some of the family employees who who will quit. They will leave the company, meaning they will just divorce the marriage. They will be exasperated because the only way that they can please is by meeting certain expectations, and, and that is exasperating. It could sound something like this. If the only way you're going to be happy is when I meet your expectations, there is no point trying. I cannot live under a constant employee performance review. I'm I'm out of here. Now, I know that in itself opens up a can of worms, and I'm not dealing with that can of worms here about leaving a marriage in an unbiblical way. But think about the children in this type of family as they wait for the day when they can leave home to get out from under the pressure of having to meet a parent's expectations. And I'm talking about expectations in the context of which I am communicating here. Every parent should have expectations for their children. But in this case, in this context, according to this podcast and the article that I'm sharing with you right now, it is expectations that have been expanded to an exclusivity that only means I will reward you after a, 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 a approved performance review. The kindness of God that leads to repentance worldview. Now, I realize that does raise a few perceptive questions. Let me let me give you one of them. So as you listen to this, you could think, well, should you always extend grace and always encourage someone with the hope of future repentance and never criticize a family member or friend? That is a fair question to ask based on what I've shared with you thus far. And so, Rick, are you saying that, you know, if you are a person that has a performance review and, and people are living under the pressure of, of meeting expectations, should we swivel all the way to the other side and, and just be grace extenders, always encouraging someone with the hope that there will be future repentance? And we never criticize a family member or a friend. Well, this type of question, though it is a Appropriate based on what I have said thus far, and I would anticipate this question, I call it a ditch question. It's easy to live in ditches. Rather than doing the harder work of teasing out the complexities of a matter. So what you have here in one ditch, you could have the person who is all about encouragement, motivating my grace, the encourager, all the time. A Romans 2-4 only 
worldview is a monotone response to anything a person does. If this is the only way that you think about the change process, encourage, 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 and motivate by grace, you will have to address what keeps you from implementing and enjoying a fuller range of methods to help your friends mature in Christ. And so in the other ditch, we have those who motivate by fear, which is what I have been addressing mostly thus far in this podcast. This person is a nitpicker, a critiquer, a never-able-to-please kind of individual. And you realize before you even start, it won't be right. You sense defeat before beginning, which in time will discourage you from trying. And your giving up triggers the person you can never please. And I have, again, been addressing that one. And so those are the two ditches, the always encourager and the always critiquer, just to put it in simplified uh, phrases. The middle ground is the person who knows how to respond to a person who needs a specific kind of care at the moment. That's the middle ground. It takes discernment. It takes hard work. Because how you respond to this person who who maybe has the same problem as the next person, but you respond to the next person differently. And so perhaps your best option is to encourage the person toward change. And again, the next instance is wiser to discipline them in love. Where do you land on this broader range spectrum of motivating people to change? Maybe this would be a good place before I get into my friends, Bill, Fed, Mabel, to ask you a few questions for you to ponder. And by the way, if you want to read everything that I'm sharing with you, I want you to. It is free. It's laying right here on our website. Just come and get it. It is yours. Enjoy the title of the podcast, the article that I'm sharing, Learning How to Encourage Disappointing People to change. Now, here are a few questions that you can think about reflectively thus far. Number one, do you typically motivate with kindness, patience, forbearance, and perseverance, which is the Romans 2-4 model? Now, again, that's a good model, but it's not an exclusive one. Question two, do you usually withhold encouragement until the person does what you expect? Maybe another way to ask this question, do you know how to correct someone in love, which sometimes that is the response that you need? All right, number three, what are a couple of scenarios where you would motivate by kindness? Maybe it would be a good journaling activity if you're given to journaling or or maybe a talking point. Maybe you can actually use these questions in a small group context. And so what are a couple scenarios where you would motivate by kindness? And then flip the coin, when would you initiate corrective care to help a person change. And then finally, do you see the pluses and minuses of these approaches? I just realized that's not the best question to answer, uh, to ask because it's a close-ended question. But all right, so do you see the pluses and minuses in these approaches? Uh, Let's say you say yes, okay. All right, then explain yourself. 
Uh, why did you answer that way? All right, let's jump into a case study, the life and times of Biff and Mabel, because they are always worthy. They are always good for a case study. Mabel has had enough of Biff. Imagine that. And it's not as though Biff was doing outlandish sinning. The habitual sin that Biff does is annoying sinning. And so it's not the over, uh, over-the-top painful sinning that some people can do is the run of the mill sinning that people do that just it just runs like a current underneath their life day in and and day out for example he doesn't help around the house he's too whiny at times he binge watches on the television there are outside chores that he only tackles after the weeds have almost taken over and the homeowners association sends their neighborhood upkeep requirements biff does not engage the church and so it's not outlandish sinning but annoying sinning biff has always been this way by the way even before their marriage you married him mabel This is who he has been from birth to death. He's a man in a steady decline as far as being lazy. She kind of sensed that when they were dating. And by the way, for those of you who are dating, I I hope that God will give you the sensitivity, the sensors to be able to discern some of these things that are there, but not loud, but some of the things that may get your eyebrow to rise just a little bit like, hmm, what is that? Well, you need to explore what is that because that what is that may turn into a, in fact, if it is negative, it will turn into a huge, big thing in the marriage. And that's why I say for a steady, he's a man in a steady decline from birth to death. And during the dating process, well, she was a little bit attuned to it, but we tend to pass it off in the name of love. Now, I said that Biff was lazy from birth to death, but it would be more accurate to say that Biff is selectively lazy. He is a selectively lazy man, which is what you're going to find in a lot of cases. You know, it's like the wife that comes in and says, my husband don't talk, doesn't talk. She doesn't mean that because actually he does talk. He just does not talk to her. And so to say that Biff is a lazy man is not accurate. That is a lazy way of labeling him because it's just not true. In fact, you've already discerned that because he's a hard worker at work. So he is a selectively lazy man. He has the ability to work hard because he does. He's another animal on the job. He works hard and provides well. He's only a dud in the non-work spheres. What Mabel is experiencing is the what I call the accumulative trauma effect. If you keep doing the same wrong things over and over again, it wears thin on those who are closest to you. And so you could say that Mabel is experiencing accumulative trauma like carpal tunnel syndrome. 25 years of slow decline during their marriage has pushed Mabel to her wits end. She has taken a demand approach that feels more like an ultimatum. Mabel is now conducting a performance review. If Biff does not change, she will respond with unkindness, critique, and displeasure. It will be clear that Biff has not met her expectations by 
how she responds to him. Now, this is where I'm going to take a turn in this podcast. And I said earlier, I will let you know that, that I have been running in a singular direction down a track to a destination that you might anticipate. But this is where I want to stop and I want to tease out something that needs teasing out. There is one more data point here. It is this, when the heat of our lives turns up, when it gets hotter and hotter on us, the person that we are, whoever that person we are on the inside, it will come out. Heat causes that. Mabel has been living under the slow burn of Biff's lack of relational intentionality, and she finally hit the tipping point. The heat was so high, was as high as she could stand it, and the person she has always been on the inside came boiling out of her, which explains her exasperated ultimatum. You see, Mabel has never been an encourager, particularly to Biff. Whenever he did something well, Mabel did not think to show appreciation. It's not her habit to be grateful, unless it is for something that benefits her. A general attitude of gratitude is not in her wheelhouse. A Christian who is not appreciative does not understand a vital aspect of the gospel Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A vital aspect of the gospel is gratitude for all things. The only gratitude that Biff ever experiences is on his job, which is one reason he works so hard Now, I hope you can hear that we are getting into some complicated weeds here, so listen carefully. They appreciate his job, his employers appreciate his effort. Though his motivation for working hard is because of the benefit of hearing a job well done, think about this. Biff is acting out an aspect of his God-given nature. Every person wants to hear well done for a job well done. And you are hearing an echo of Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Mabel does not understand this basic idea about human nature. Her lack of gratitude for her husband has complicated their marriage problems. Now, this is where you're going to have to listen slowly and carefully. I am not saying that Mabel's lack of gratefulness for her husband is the cause of his sin issues. I am saying it is a complicating factor. When helping couples work through problems, you want to identify the real causes and the complicating factors. In this case study, I'm only addressing a complicating issue, not the cause. 
which is Biff's sin. We have taken a turn. Though Biff had this problem before he met Mabel, after their marriage, Mabel's sin issues have complicated Biff's. As the counselor appeals to Biff to repent of his cause sin, he must also help Mabel understand the kind of man God gave her and how her sin patterns are complicating what God could do through her if she had the discernment and willingness to repent. In all marriage situations, you will have what I call the victim-sinner construct. You must know how to navigate these waters if you're going to help them. Imagine if the counselor only helped Biff change but did not address a stumbling block in their home, his wife. Let me give you an analogy of this problem in the rebellion, rebellious teenager. Suppose an authoritarian, angry dad brought his son to counseling saying his rebellious son must change. The dad is correct. Rebellion is not acceptable no matter how you got there. But the teen's problem has a layer of complexity that you must deal with, which is the dad who is complicating or sabotaging any reasonable effort that could happen in the counseling office. Let's say the teen made progress during the two-hour counseling session. You sent him home to live with his dad for the rest of the week, 166 hours before he shows up to the next session. How do you think it will go that week for the teen and his daddy? Whatever progress made in the counseling office will evaporate quickly in an intense family environment with an authoritarian, angry father. In this sense, the teen is the victim sinner. He is guilty of his rebellion, and he's a victim of his father's anger. Ironically, his dad is a victim sinner, too. He's a victim to an angry, rebellious son, and he's guilty of complicating his son's life. I will have to stop here. There's a little bit more to this podcast, and I want you to read it. I talk a little bit more about Mabel, but the good news is it's free, and so you can read it. Jump on this article, get the rest of it, plus the call to action at the end. The title is Learning How to Encourage Disappointing People to Change. Thank you so much for listening.